thankful worship to the Lord. He is worthy. You know, I don't come to church because I have to. I come to church because I want to be here. I desire to be here in the presence of God and communing with his people and communing with the Lord. And I'm so thankful for you being here today. And I'm so thankful for uh, this time that we have together. Amen. You never know. Uh, only the Lord knows the day or the hour, but we might be caught away before this service is even over today. I'm so glad that I know him and that uh, I'm ready to meet him. I'll tell you what, every day heaven becomes a little more sweet and, and dear to me. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. While you're turning there, if you happen to come in a little bit late and miss the announcement, we're having plenty of food and fellowship here today after the service. No prayer meeting tonight, and so all are welcome to, to stay with us and eat and just spend the afternoon uh, hanging out and enjoying each other's company. Acts chapter 27, verse 31. We're going to read just one, one scripture here to start. Paul said that to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. I want to tell you, we're talking about abiding in Christ. We're talking about abiding in the truth this morning. And except you abide in Christ and except you abide in the truth and except you abide in what you know from the word of God and what you know to be true by the Holy Ghost conviction, you can't be saved. We're not just talking about salvation like dying and going to heaven. We're talking about being saved and, and staying in the will of God and being preserved through this life as well. We have to hear from God. You have to hear from the Lord. You need to know that you've heard from the Lord and you need to stay with him. It sounds very simple, and it is really simple in that sense. You need to hear from God. You do. You need to hear from the Lord for your life, for decisions, big, middle, and, and, and little decisions in your life, medium-sized. You need to hear from God. You need to know that you've heard from the Lord, and you need to hold on like a pit bull by faith. And you need to stay with what you know to be God's will, because doubts will come even after you know it's the Lord. Doubts will come, and weaknesses will come, and, and challenges to our faith will come, and the devil will come, and circumstances will change. You'll say, did I really hear from God? You need to hear from God. You need to know you've heard from the Lord, and you need to stay put there. You need to stay in what God has shown you. Don't stay in something that's false. Don't stay, stay in something that's fallen apart, that's not God, and it wasn't the Lord, or maybe... Uh, you know, things have changed and so forth. Hear from God and know that you've heard from the Lord. That, what Paul says, they're on a ship. This is towards the end of the book of Acts and towards the end of Paul's life that we, we really read about historically, you know, chronologically. He is on his way on a ship, a prison ship, with 270 other people, mostly prisoners. And they are, he's on his way to Rome to be, appear before, uh, he's appealed to Caesar for his uh, false accusations that came against him. He's appealed to Caesar. So he's on a prison ship, and the storm was so bad that they hadn't seen the sun, the stars, the moon for many days. It was no regular storm. I've been out in the Gulf when little squalls have kicked up and things like that. This was not that. This was, they hadn't seen the sun or the stars for several days. They didn't even know if it was day or night. There might be some times in your life that are like that. 
There are times like that in our lives. I can't say we live in that all the time, but there are times in our lives you don't know if you're up or down or coming or going. There are times in your life that are confusing. There are things in your life that happen that rock your world that was not the norm. This is not the normal every day. And we have things like that. Don't know if it's night or day. I always say this, and if you get tired of me, I hope you don't get tired of hearing me say it. When we, when we come to times like that in our lives where we're not sure, things seem confusion, confusing to us, always stay with what you do know. There's a lot we don't know. I don't know when the rapture is going to take place. I don't know when the banking system might collapse. I don't know when these things uh, are going to happen. But I know what the Bible says. I know how it's all going to end up. And there's going to be a day that Christ is all in all. And before that, he's going to rapture his church out of here. So whether we live or we die, we're with the Lord. Stick with what you do know. Is he a faithful God? Yes. Can you find scriptures that say that? Yes. Have you found him to be faithful in your own life? Yes. Stay with what you know. When you come to circumstances and situations that are dark, and you haven't seen the sun or stars in many days, and you don't know what's going on, you say, is this God, or what's going on, or would God let this happen? Stay with what you do know, and he's a good God, and he's a faithful God. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Well, I feel like you've forsaken me, but he says, I won't. So my feelings are not what I trust. God is what I trust. The word of God is what I trust. Amen? We stay with what we know. Hear from God. Know that you've heard from the Lord, and then hold on to his hand. Hold on tightly. This was a condition. It was an absolute condition. Let's look at verse 31 again. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. This was a condition. It was an absolute condition. He didn't say that some may make it, some may not. He said you have to stay with the ship. And I'm likening the ship to the will of God, to the plan of God, certainly to Christ and to his word. I remember a few weeks ago, Damon and Katie, uh, I don't remember which psalm they taught on, but we're going through the psalms in Sunday school. I invite you all to come to that, by the way. Eric taught this morning on Psalm 24. Peter's teaching next week. It's just been uh, wonderful, but we're going through the psalms. I don't know if we're going to go through all 150 we may, but we're going through them. And they taught a few weeks back, and they said something, I remember, and uh, David refused he wrote most of the Psalms. David refused to take matters into his own hands. And I want to talk about that this morning. <clears throat> when we take matters out of God's hands and put them in our own hands. I'm talking to Christians this morning, not talking to the lost. Okay. When we as believers take matters out of God's hands and we put them back in our hands, it's going to be a disaster. How many of you can say amen to that? How many of you ever tried that? How many of you have done that? I have. Take it out of God's hands, not my whole life, but maybe a circumstance, a situation, a time, whatever. Uh, we take it out of God's hands and we put it in our hands. It will always be a failure in the long run. Maybe you see a little temporary success or something, but in the long run, and ultimately, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to come to ruin. And guess what? You're going to wish you never had done that. You're going to regret it, okay? We're going to regret it. When we wait on the hand of Almighty God to work in our situation, deliver us, answer that prayer, come through, it's going to work out for the good. 
It sounds very simple, and it is. It's a lot easier said than done. To wait on the Lord. He's going to work it out for our best. He's going to work it out for our good. He's going to work it out for his glory. Sometimes I think we forget, forget about God's glory in the whole situation. We're hurting or we're, we don't like the circumstance of the situation or we're in great need. And we just want God to do for us. He desires to do for us, but sometimes we forget about his glory. When we take matters out of God's hands, well, God's not going to do it. And we just go about our own business, and our own plans. It's going to be a disaster. Ultimately, it will be a disaster and it will bring God no glory. I will say this, because there's probably not a person in this room that hasn't sometime in your Christian walk done that. You've taken, you, you got tired of waiting on God, and you took it in your own hands, and you, you did something on your own. It wasn't the Lord. Praise God that there is forgiveness. It doesn't have to end there. You say, well, it's a fiasco, it's a disaster. Uh, my life doesn't have to be a disaster and a ruin. I'm a child of God. I can repent. I can turn to the Lord. I can be forgiven and cleansed. And he can pick me up, dust me off, and said, I tried to tell you. And, you know, set me back on the path where I should be. He can do that. The Bible says that we know. Well, do you know it? Do you know Romans 8, 28? For we know that all things work together for good. To those that love the Lord... And to those that are called according to his purpose. Do we know that? Because we have to know it. He doesn't say in the word, that scripture, the Holy Ghost doesn't say that we know that God works things a great percentage of the time. For, you know, most things for good to those that love the Lord. It says we know that God works all things together for good to those that love the Lord to those that are called according to his purpose. The Bible says, this is where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in. Habakkuk 2.4, I'm just going to read it to you. It's quoted, this scripture, at least I know for sure, is quoted in Hebrews and Romans. It originally comes from Habakkuk. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. You heard that part before? At least the last part of that verse. We can't be lifted up in ourselves and think we have the answer, we have the solution, we have the remedy, we have the strength, we have the know-how to get out of this predicament, to make this work, to fix this problem. We can't be lifted up in ourselves. That's the first half of that verse. We have to yield to the Lord. We have to defer to the Lord. The Bible talks about submitting to God. The, talk, the Bible talks about yielding to God. And that means simply coming under his authority. Every time when in me and myself and what I want begins to rise up, that needs to be brought back under the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. What does God say? What does God say? What has God told me? What has he spoken to me through his word? Yeah, but, well, those buts need to go away. What, yeah, yeah, but that, that needs to come back under the authority of the word of God. Okay, we defer to the Lord. We yield to God and we have to have faith in God to do that. We have to trust in the redeemed of God, the child of God, the one born of his spirit. That's the just. Not that there's one perfect like Buck mentioned this morning. But the just shall live by faith. We're to live by faith in the living God. And you know what happens as we do that? We begin to trust God. We begin to trust him more than we did yesterday. I would like to ask, 
not, not anybody to answer out loud, just within yourselves, a very simple question. How many of you trust God more today than you did a year ago? More today than you did. I see a lot of heads nodding, okay? Do, are we perfect in our faith? Are there still times today where we may doubt God about certain things? Yes, we do. That needs to become less and less. It's an increase, increasing of our faith. The disciples prayed to Jesus when they were scared on the boat and they thought it was going to be swamped and they were going to drown. And, and he came and said, peace be still and calm the boat. Then he turned to them and rebuked them. Where is your faith? And they said, Lord, increase our faith. He didn't rebuke them for that prayer, by the way. I, I prayed all the time. God, strengthen my faith. Increase my faith to believe you, to trust you, that I would stand on your word and not take matters into my own hands. Uh, when Paul talks about being crucified by Christ, and he says, in the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we learn to trust in God. When I ask how many of you trust God more now than you did a year ago, that's learning, right? The Lord is doing something in us. He's increasing our faith in him, but he doesn't increase it as we walk in disobedience. He increases our faith as we trust him and walk in faith, read the promises of God and hold to them and believe him for those things. He strengthens our faith and builds us up. The Bible says that we're to, we taste and see. And I've always thought about, you know, about the, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He doesn't say, let me just tell you that God is good. There's other passages that talk about hearing the goodness of God. But if I'm going to really know it myself, if I'm going to know the goodness of the Lord, me and the faithfulness of God, me personally, not Brother Clendenin or some preacher that preached to me, if I'm going to know the goodness of the Lord, I have to taste myself. I have to taste and see that the Lord is good. So we experience that and we learn about the faithfulness of God. And we go through something that 10 times before we failed and we failed to trust God. But on the 11th time, he carries us through and we make it through. And we look back and say, wow, he really is faithful. For 10 years, I, I, I didn't trust him for that. And today I did. And you know what? He is faithful. He brought me through it. He strengthened me through it. We learn. We learn. And we learn to wait on God because we trust in the Lord. We refuse to take matters into our own hands. It's almost like you rise up against it and you say, no, devil, I'm not. No, Randy, I'm not. I'm not going to take this out of God's hands and try to fix it myself. I know what he told me. I'm going to stick with him and I'm going to stick on, stand upon his promises. I'm going to stay right there. If I live there or die there, that's where I'm staying. That is faith. That is where we rise up. We not, might, might not feel really strong, but taking that out of our hands and putting it back on the Lord, putting it back on God and, and his responsibility. I'll read a couple of scriptures here. Um, Psalm 123.2, I'll just go ahead and read it. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. So we're waiting on God. When we wait on the Lord, y'all, and I think this can be a, a misconception to think that when we wait on the Lord, we just do nothing. We just twiddle our thumbs and we're lazy almost. But that's not, when we wait on God, we're waiting on God. 
You know what I mean? We're praying. We're seeking the Lord. We're looking to see what he's going to do and, and watching. The Bible says watch and pray. And if you picture a servant waiting on his master, the servant's not just lazy. He's looking. He may not be doing anything right now, but he's doing one thing. He's kind of like in a, maybe off to the side somewhere. But he's very aware of his master and when he might need something or when he might call upon him. He's, he's on go. He's prepared. He's ready. And he's, he's dialed in and focused on one thing, not a bunch of other things. And that's what he says here, as the eyes of the servants look unto of the hand of their master. So we wait upon, so our eyes wait upon the Lord. They're not doing nothing. They're not idle. We're waiting. We're waiting on the Lord. Zephaniah says, therefore wait ye upon me. Or the Lord says in Zephaniah, therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up. Okay? So we're waiting on the Lord till the day that he rises up and, and helps us or strengthens us and brings us through. We're not lazy. We're waiting on the Lord. Praise God. And we learn to wait on the Lord. And so um, we listen. We go to God's word. We seek him. We seek him intently. And we stand upon that word. We're actively waiting upon the Lord. Amen. And our God is going to come through. We study God's word. We read it, we hold to it, we obey it, we pray it, and then we rest in it. We rest in it. That is, again, easier said than done, but it's, it's possible. We're told to do that. And we come, can come to a place where we literally rest in God and we rest upon the word of God. That there's great chaos and confusion and fear all around us. We can rest in the Lord. You know, King Hezekiah, I've mentioned him uh, before. I know you've studied and read about King Hezekiah, one of the, one of the few good kings of Judah. And uh, when the Assyrians were coming against Judah and encamped around it, and the people were besieged and the city was besieged, it says that he went and spoke out, spoke to the people. He called the people together, said, you know, we're, we're, in a, we're in a strait here. We're, we're in a, a bad situation here. But he said, with us is the hand of the Lord. With them is just the hand of men. With us is the Lord mighty to save. And he just spoke a few words. But it says that the people, and it's really an amazing thing when you think about it, the people rested themselves on the words of Hezekiah. And I've thought when I was reading that, can you really rest on a word? I mean, is a word really enough? I need to see something. I need to see all the enemies destroyed. I need to see, you know, fire come down from heaven and consume the enemies or something. I need to see some action. But the Bible says the only time that word is used, I think, in the whole Bible, that particular Hebrew word for rest, that people rested themselves in the words of Hezekiah. It means like you would lean against the wall because you know the wall is going to hold you up. You're resting your whole self against it. Or sitting in a chair, you're plopping down. Nobody worried if this chair was going to buckle under them this morning. That wasn't, maybe you're thinking about a million other things, but you weren't thinking about that probably. Because you know it's going to uphold you. Can you rest on a word? Yes, when it's the word of God. When it's a promise and you're not misappropriating it and taking some promise that's not for you and trying to make it for you. When God has spoken to your heart, I said at the beginning, hear from God. Know you've heard from him, and then stay there. 
we can rest upon a word when it's God's word. We refuse to take matters into our own hands. You have to hear from the Lord. Y'all, I cannot stress this enough. I stress it to my own life. It's a key. It's a fundamental of Christianity. We want to listen to praise music. We want to listen to this preacher and run around and hear all kinds of stuff. You need to come to a point where you hear from God and you know you've heard from God. You need to hear the voice of God and you know, need to know that you've heard it and you recognize it. Every preacher doesn't preach the truth. Every Christian song is not the Holy Spirit. Everything is not of the Lord just because it says it's the Lord. We know that. You need to know, you know that you've heard from God and know that voice, the voice that bears witness, the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit. Jesus said, and he's given the, uh, this picture. You know, Jesus is so many different things. He's the door and he's the way and the truth. But he's also the good shepherd. And, he, and the Bible says, Jesus said this in John 10, when he, the good shepherd, puts forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. It is an absolute imperative. It is a fundamental. It is a necessity that you individually can hear from God. You need to be able to hear and know this is the Lord. The clearest way, without question, is the word of God. The rightly divided word of God. That's the clearest way. He speaks to us and leads us on other things, but it'll always be in agreement with the word. You say, well, how can he lead me on which job to take? That's not in the Bible. No, it's not in the Bible. But there are principles, and there are teachings, and there are instructions from the word of God that if you will stay close to the Lord and follow the voice of your good shepherd, he will lead you, and he won't lead you contrary to this word. He'll lead you in agreement with this word. And believe me, it matters to him which job you take. It matters to him which person you marry. Well, they're a Christian. What's it matter? I'm a Christian. They're a Christian. It matters to God. Because he has someone for you and you for them. But you need to hear from God. And there's not a substitute from that. No matter how many sermons or books you would read on. Books on how to hear the voice of God. You need to hear the voice of God. And there's not a substitute for that. You need to get with the Lord. And you need to grow. In, we all grow in that. Amen. We all grow in that. I've missed the Lord before. I've thought things were God. And, and they weren't the Lord. But you know, as, as you go through life, you learn from those things and you move on. I've had some things I regretted. I'm talking about as a Christian that I did and, and I shouldn't have done or I thought was God or maybe it's God and I'll do it anyway. If it's anything important, you better hear from God. You better know that you've heard from the Lord. He's able to keep us. Amen. And so Paul, in that story, we didn't read that part. But in what we read, we opened up with him, Paul, on the ship, the prison ship. Big storm comes up. Everybody thinks they're going to die. The sailors who have been sailing all their lives, they think they're going to die. This was no ordinary storm. You know what he did in the midst of the storm? He went and he got with God. He went and prayed. It's actually what the Bible says, that he turned to the Lord and prayed and fasted. People are screaming and hollering. They're throwing the cargo over the ship. And now they're talking about killing all the all the prisoners so they don't escape. All, stuff, all kinds of chaos is going on. Don't know if it's nighttime or daytime, and they think they're going to die. What is Paul doing? He's over there praying and fasting. He's praying and fasting, and guess what? He heard from God. God didn't leave him in that spot without speaking to him. He needed to hear from God. God knew that he needed to hear from him, and he pressed in until he did hear. 
Joshua lived by faith. Amen? He heard from the Lord, and God spoke to him. God will always speak to his children. His sheep follow him, for they know his voice. It is a, it is a given, and we grow in that. Paul said, after long abstinence, I'll just read this, there stood by me this night the angel of God. So he's addressing everybody in the ship. Listen, everybody, calm down, calm down, listen up, listen up. After long abstinence, that was fasting, he said, for there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am, I belong to this God and whom I serve, saying, fear not, Paul, fear not, Paul. You know what Paul did? He rested on that word. It was all over. The worry was all over. The fretting, the uncertainty, all of it was over. It was for Paul. He rested on that word. He says, fear not. And he goes, wherefore, sirs, I believe. I believe it's going to be even as the Lord told me. Be of good comfort. No man's life's going to be lost. The ship's going to be broken up. Okay? But not a soul's going to die. But you got to stick with the ship till it's time to go. And he heard from the Lord, okay? And, and God has promised us, he has purchased us, and we belong to him. And I remind myself of this often, that I am God's responsibility. In other words, if I have needs in my life, how many of you have a need in your life, right? We all have needs in our lives. If I have a need... My heavenly father knows what I have need of before I ask him. And he wants me to turn to him for that. He wants me to come to him for that. But I am ultimately his responsibility. So what, the, what needs I have, I can't just snap my finger and make them happen. I need this much money, bam. I need this relationship to be reconciled, bam. I'll just snap my finger and make it through willpower. I'll make it happen. You can't. Have some sickness in your body. I'm just going to will myself well. You can't. But God can heal you. He is our, we are his responsibility. And he takes care of us. He cares for us. He, pity, he has pity for us and watches over us. And so he not only purchased me as his possession by the blood of Jesus, we've been bought with a price. Since I belong to him, then he has to take care of me. And he will take care of me. That's a very, again, simple truth. And I would say this. How much better is it when we wait on God and then we see infinitely better? We see the Lord come through and do it. We've done both. We've taken matters in our own hands. We've gotten impatient, run off and done something that was out of God's will, thinking we were going to help out a little bit, and it was a disaster. We say, God, forgive me, and he forgives us. But how much infinitely better when we wait upon the Lord for him to work? And then he does work. He does work. He does keep his promise. When the Lord comes through, as he said he would, when the Lord heals, when the Lord provides, when the Lord reconciles a relationship, when the Lord guides when the Lord instructs, when the Lord opens a door to us, how much better when God does it. It's so much better to be still and comparably better to wait on God. We don't wish and hope. The Bible says be still and know. We don't wish and hope. We're still and we know that he's God.
and we trust him, and he's going to come through. David said in the Psalms, but our God is in heaven. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And so we wait on this, this Lord, this God of ours. You know, there's times in our lives when the devil comes along and says, you trusted God, but he failed you. He trusted you. You trusted in God. You boast about your faith. And it's the devil coming and saying, you trusted God, but look where it got you. Where's your God now? Right? And isn't that what the, the mockers said? It's really just the devil, what the mockers said to our Lord on the cross. He trusted in God to deliver him. Let's see if God's going to deliver him. He said he trusted in him. And they laughed and they ridiculed and they spat upon him and they joked while he's dying for their sins. The devil comes along and he wants to, he's after your faith. We talk about it all the time. What is Satan after? Came to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that. What is he really after? He's after your faith in God. Well, I'm already saved. I belong to Jesus. Yes, you do. He's still after your faith. He wants to destroy your faith. And so he comes and he taunts us. And uh, most of the time, unfortunately, our flesh, when Satan comes, our flesh wants to chime in and agree with the devil. We, we, need, to, we need to be more mature than that. Satan comes and says, you're, you're God, where is he now? It's like, it looks like he let you down this time. That, that works. All those promises work for Paul and Peter and David and people like that in the Bible, but it doesn't look like it's working out too good for you. And we go, you're right. It's not working out too good for me. No, we have to refuse to do that. We have to say, no, Satan, you're a liar. And I'm going to hold to the hand of God. And I'm going to stay with God. I want to look at a couple of examples in the Bible. Just as, as we bring this on. When David in the Bible, more than once, and you could probably think of your own examples. But these are the ones that the Lord showed me. David refused to take matters into his own hands when Samuel had anointed him to be the king of Israel. He didn't try to speed it up. I don't know exactly how many years. Scholars differ on how many years it was between when he was anointed as king by Samuel as a shepherd boy and to the time he actually took the throne and began to reign. In the meantime, Saul was king. And Saul had got lifted up in pride. And Saul also had become jealous of David because the favor of God upon David and the favor of God with the people and the faithfulness of David to God. And, and Saul was jealous of that. And Saul hunted him down like a dog. And he got word that David was in a certain place. And he took uh, 6,000 men, I'm sorry, 3,000 chosen men with them to go hunt out, hunt David. And he didn't know it, but he came to take a little break in this cave. And David and his men were actually in this cave. And here comes Saul, and Saul comes in. He takes his robe off for a little while, and his, his but David's buddies are going, this is the day you've been waiting for. This is that opportunity. This is that moment. You can kill him so easy right now, and you can be king. David refused. He absolutely refused to take matters into his own hands. If God wants me to be king, which he did, I will be king. It won't be this way. 
God will take care of my enemy. That doesn't mean he never fought and fought enemies and so forth. He said, God forbid that I should put, stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to do it. And, it. and so he went and he actually cut a little piece of Saul's robe off that was laying over there. And his heart smote him. He even felt guilty and convicted about that and said, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. You know, that's a beautiful picture to me. He was promised the king. He was anointed king. He was going to be king. And God made an eternal covenant with David that still today, the son of David, uh, Jesus Christ came through that lineage and so forth. But he refused to take to hasten it. He refused to say, I've been running from Saul for seven years. I got to do something about it myself. I'm going to take matters into my own hands and kill this king. He refused to do it. That's, there's a great lesson to be learned. How much better when God does it. Amen? When the Lord does it. We could go on and on. It's a disaster when we take matters into our own hands. Remember the, the account of, of Abraham, I know you do, and Sarah, and God had promised them a child. Not only a child, but nations would come forth through them. And he was 75 and she was 65 at the time the promise came. And it wasn't until he was 100 and she was 90 that they actually had Isaac. But he wanted to, uh, and she wanted to, Sarah, take matters into her own hands and said, look, the Lord's kept me from having children. So in this waiting period, a lot of times passed, the promise has not been fulfilled. What's the temptation? The temptation is quit trusting God or trust him part way, or maybe he wants to do it a different way than what we thought. No, you don't. Don't do that. Be still and know. You have to know you've heard from God first. But once you've heard, then you stay there. Well, maybe we misunderstood the Lord. Here's my handmaid, Hagar. Take her. Have a child through her. And uh, it was a sin. It was not God's thought. It was not God's plan. It was not the promised child. She did have a child, Ishmael. It was a disaster. Not that he was a disaster. It was a child. But the point is that that was not God's plan. And even as soon as Hagar conceived and, and uh, Sarah knew that she had conceived, there was a division between those two. And, and Sarah said, my wrong be upon thee. She knew it was wrong. She told Abraham, my wrong is on you, Abraham. You, you've suffered from, from my stupid idea and sinful idea. It's a disaster. It's a horrible mistake. How much better when God does it? You know what the Lord said to them? God said, Sarah, Abraham, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. That's the plan. And to get receive that plan, it takes the faith of a pit bull hanging on. To receive that plan and that fulfillment, Abraham uh, believed God, the Bible says. And it was counted to him for righteousness. But also it says he believed God and did not stagger at the promises of God through unbelief. Therefore, he had this, all this multitude of children and descendants that came forth through him. We have to trust God. Amen. We could go on and on. Moses, who is in, in Egypt... Uh, didn't like to see one of his Hebrew brothers, slaves, being mistreated. 
And so he looked this way and that way, and he didn't see anybody around. And so he killed the Egyptian taskmaster that was beating the slave, buried him in the sand. And then he gets out, gets back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh heard that he had killed one of these Egyptians, and Pharaoh uh, was mad, and Moses fled. Well, that was good. He was, he was zealous, and he had a desire to, to relieve the suffering and so forth of his people. That wasn't God's plan. It wasn't his way. He took matters into his own hands. He spent the four, next 40 years in the desert herding sheep. Now, God had a plan in that. God prepared him to be the deliverer. But you understand the point. How much better when we just trust the Lord and wait? I didn't say it's easier. How much better when we trust God? I'm going to bring this to a close. When, when you go through a circumstance or a situation in your life, and we do, you, we do, we absolutely do. So don't think that you're the only one and don't think nobody else around you ever goes through a serious trial. We do, okay? But when we do, you have to remain with the boat, so to speak. You have to stay there. You have to stay with what God has spoken to you. I say this all the time. Christians don't have a plan B. This is our plan. You know, people have a plan B. We're going to do this. You know, if something happens that doesn't work out, we got a backup plan. Plan B. Christians don't have a plan B. We don't have a backup plan. Our whole life is in the hands of Almighty God. Our marriage is in the hands of Almighty God. Our children are in the hands of Almighty God. Our world, our country, everything is in the hands of Almighty God. Our health, our finances, our eternity, it's all there. We don't have a backup plan. So we stay right there and we trust God. We, tr- we don't have a backup plan, but we do have the living God. We have Almighty God. We have the promises of God that are sure in his word that is forever settled in heaven. We, we, we come to these points. I must not have heard rightly from God. Uh, I'm going to have to do it myself. The Lord's not coming through for me. The Lord did it for other people, but he won't do it for me. God can help in a lot of things, but he can't fix this. And, and I would say to myself, because I've thought those things, I would never say them out loud, neither would you, but we think them. And I would say to myself and to you when I'm in that mindset, show me one scripture to back up what you're saying right now. God must have forgotten about me. God can't do it. God will do it for, you know, for Damien, but he won't do it for me. Uh, And we think all these things. Show me one scripture that says that. You're not going to find one. Paul said this. He says, for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able. You know what that persuasion is? A faith. But it's also a faith that grew through experience. Because this is the last epistle that he wrote before he was martyred in Rome. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep all that I've committed unto him until that day. Against that day. Let me ask you this. What have you committed to God? Because that's what he's able to keep. Paul committed everything to the Lord. Doesn't mean he was perfect. But he did commit himself fully to the Lord. He's able to keep what we commit to him against that day. And the scriptures say this, and I'll bring this to a close. Dee, you can come on up. 
we think, well, maybe, maybe God will do it. Maybe he's not going to do it. Like Abraham and Sarah, maybe he, God, we misunderstood and it was a different plan. And, and we have to try a different way. Don't take matters into your own hands. Keep them with God. Leave them with the Lord. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. It's a lot of yeas and nays, but it simply means this. When he's talking about the promises of God, they're yes and yes and yes. They're not yes and no sometimes and maybe sometimes. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes. So you hold to the promise. And you and I believe for the promise. And we encourage ourselves. You know what? You need to encourage those that are around you, especially in this day. I could preach a whole sermon on the hour in which we live, but I'm not right now. But we need to be, encourage ourselves and we need to encourage those around us. No, listen, that voice you're listening to, that's just your flesh. We've all been there. You say to your neighbor, to your husband, your spouse, your children, and you say, we're going to keep trusting God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. What does the Bible say? What does the word of God say? What has God spoken to your heart? Has God all of a sudden become moved from being a faithful God to unfaithful? Of course not. But we think that sometimes. He wants us to trust him. Refuse to take matters into your own hands. Put Put your matters and your life and everything that concerns you firmly and squarely in the Lord's hands and leave them there. Just leave them right there. I want to close with what we opened with. If you're back in Acts chapter 27, and we read verse 31, but 31, but I want you to back up to Acts 27, 22 through 25. So they hadn't seen the sun or the stars and the moon for, for days. They'd given up all hope that they would be saved, the Bible says, was taken away. In a natural sense, think about that. All hope that we should be saved is taken away. Every sailor, every captain of the ship, every prisoner, every soldier said, we're done. We're not going to make it. All hope was taken away. Verse 21, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and have not loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. There's not going to be any man lost, not one. Not a good man, not a bad man, not a murderer, not the prisoners, not the soldiers, not the centurions. Not one person is going to die from this. But they'd given up all hope. But Paul prayed and fasted, and the Lord spoke to him. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I, serve, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given these all them, thee, all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. He says, we are going to be cast on an island. And then he closes by saying, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. The ship was, ended up being crashed. And so the example only goes so far. 
But I'm saying our, our captain, our shepherd, our God is the Lord Jesus Christ. We hold to his promises no matter what we see, feel, think, hear, no matter what the devil whispers to us, no matter what another person whispers to us, no matter what we would say ourselves to ourselves. You hold to God and you believe God. Hear from him, know that you've heard from him, and stay right there. Hold to his hands. I want you all to stand with me. The altars are open.